My name is Sister Prince. Today is July 18, 1991, and I am interviewing Bill Shana. Bill Shana was born in St. Louis on September 21, 1908. We're going to discuss the Czech community in St. Louis and how Bill Shana grew up. These tapes will be part of the archives of the Missouri Historical Society. Okay, you've become a historian. become more of a historian among the American Czechs because I was born here and I knew a lot of individuals that came from the old country. Okay, Which, okay. good. Uh, uh, I don't know if you've seen this article. That was oh, in, that yes. Was in the, Couple of days ago. Couple of days ago, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. That's right. I learned a little thing, a few things about that too. Is this on now? Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, well, uh, as I say, uh, I was born, which is right in the Bohemian neighborhood, mm -hmm. and uh, of course I've read a lot of history that at first that it was a German neighborhood but I think more or less um, means I belong to two organizations that today are over 125 years old one of them was the Czechoslovak Society of America which was born in the city of St. Louis in 1854 and uh, the American Sokol organization, the word Sokol in the Czech language or Bohemian language means falcon. And and we the first Sokol in the in the United States was in the city of Saint Louis, February the fourteenth, nineteen sixty five, three years after the uh, birth of the Sokol in Prague. Yeah, does that have anything? Yeah, you said eagle on the phone. Is it is that interchangeable, falcon and eagle? No, no, it is not because okay. a falcon is different than the eagle. I was. You had mentioned that on the phone. Too. Yes, okay. and um, so uh, I've spent most of my life among the Bohemian or Czech people. You see, the word Bohemian is sort of a misconception. There was a Bohemia, which was a province in the state of Austria-Hungary. Mm -hmm. And it appears like the word Bohemia disappeared during the First World War, and everybody became Czech. Because after all, the Czechoslovakia, which, uh, which was made up of five states, one of them was Bo Bohemia, uh, today is Czechia, Moravia, uh, Slovakia, Silesia, and Carpathia. Now, since since that time, why it only acknowledges three states today: Czechia, Moravia, and Slovakia. Silesia, is, I think, is a part of Poland today, and um, Carpathia is a part of Russia, I think. And uh, that's the way it stands at the present time. As I say, I don't remember much about my birth. All I recall that they didn't expect me to live because I was born a year and three months after my brother. 
brother Joe, and um, and uh, my parents lived. I was born above a bakery shop, and I don't recall the next home I recall was on Picker Street, which is a small street from 14th Street and ran to an alley east of 18th Street. So, and then I believe we must have moved away from there when I was about four years old. My dad bought his first home on 2016 South 11th Street. That's between Russell and Allen Avenue. Allen? Allen. And uh, we lived there until I believe it was, I was six years of age. I started grammar school uh, with my brother at the Lafayette School. And uh, at that time, I could not talk any English. My brother had to do all of the translation. Uh, my dad, my dad's name was Joseph with an F, and my mother's name was Antonia, A-N-T-O-N-I-E. They, they didn't meet until they met here in, in the city of St. Louis. My dad was from Nepomuk, Czechoslovakia today, and my mother was born in Volinia, V-O-L-Y-N-E, and they evidently must have met before her, I guess, uh, well, I guess after the World's Fair. My dad came over in 1904, and then they evidently married in 1906 at the St. John Nepomuk Church with is the first first Catholic uh, Czech Catholic church in, in the United States. I think I think it was born somewhere in the year 1854. Now uh, after why did your father come to the United States? Well, the reason he came to the United States is, uh, was because after all, he came from a large family. He had he had Two, two brothers, and I think he had, I think there were five sisters. And uh, he came here because after all, uh, there wasn't any work in Czechoslovakia. He was in the Austrian army because that was all under conscription in those days. So, uh, and he came to St. Louis for one reason, because the only individual he knew in the United States was his cousin by the name of Frank Stankowski, who lived on uh, 3644 Pennsylvania Avenue. Did we say which, what year he came to St. Louis? 1904. 1904. 1904. That's right, the World's Fair. That's Excuse right, me. World's Fair. I got so much to listen to. That's all right. And then, then after I, I don't know how he got, received his first job. He was a tailor by trade. He was, he studied his trade in Vienna. A after all, most of the Bohemians had to go to the larger towns to get their education or their trade. Now you'll find that mo most of the tradesmen that come from Bohemia or, che or Czechoslovakia were either, either tailors, shoemakers, carpenters, and uh, cabinet makers, 
and and that's about it as far as trade is concerned. My dad, the only thing I recall, the first job, first job that I know that that I recall, he worked for a tailor on 1504 South Broadway, which is uh, uh, his name was Jacob Franks, and he worked there and he worked long hours because when my brother and I were little, we didn't see my dad in the morning nor in the evening because we were still in bed when he left for work. He used to leave for work at five in the morning and he didn't come home until nine o'clock. So that was that was his daily work. And uh, he, uh, he, he worked there uh, for Jacob Frank until Jacob Frank passed away and he had a uh, cloth cutter by the name of William Stamm, S-T-A-M-M, -M, who, who then took over the business from Jacob Frank, and uh, my dad worked for Stamm the rest of his life. He, uh, he worked, for, he, he didn't belong to any union, and uh, as a matter of fact, uh, because he worked most of the time on piecework, and he made more money that way, because he worked longer hours. And um, I can recall uh, from when we lived on 11th Street, my dad walked to work from, from 11th and Allen down to Broadway. I think the street was Barry, B-A-R-R-Y. And he never went, in, went into the store off of Broadway. He always had to go around the alleyway and then go into the into the backyard where the t where the workshop was in back of of the store, and at that time they they had homes on the alley side, mm -hmm. and the, the colored people lived in in the alley side. And my dad was very liberal. He got along with the colored people very well, and that's some, one thing he taught us: I'll always be honest and fair with everybody, and you won't have any problems. So he, he worked there until until his his retirement. Uh, rather, he didn't retire. He did. The reason when we uh, left Leaven Street, my dad bought it. That was his first home that he bought was on Leaven Street, and the second home we, he bought was on Twenty. It was uh, eighteen twenty three and 21 Allen Avenue. That was in, I believe, in 1914. And in 1914, we couldn't get into the new home, so my dad had to go into a rent on 14th and Calhoun in South St. Louis. And we, I think we lived there, must have lived there three months. And that was during the black diphtheria epidemic. And uh, uh, all the tenants in, in that four-family flat on 14th Street were all bohemian. Then when we moved to Allen Avenue, which we moved in a home, it still didn't, still didn't have any bathrooms, but we had outhouses just like most of the homes there on us. They were newer homes that were built, and they had uh, Several of them had uh, in the neighborhood had uh, bathrooms, 
So from 1914, I guess, to about 1922, I, I went to Siegel School, and uh, I graduated there in January 1922. From what grade is that? It was, well, I don't know if they call it, that's the grade just before you, uh, you go to high school. So that's 7th or 8th grade? I, I guess 8th, 8th, I guess. Okay. And then after I graduated from uh, grammar school, then my dad sent us to McKinley High, mm -hmm. which was uh, on Missouri on Missouri and Russell and I went there for three years my brother also and my brother graduated in uh, in January 1925 and I and then I, I still had a year to go but in the meantime Roosevelt High School was built in in 19, 1925 so McKinley High School was closed in, uh, in 1925, and I had a transfer to Roosevelt High. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's at the same time my dad bought a home on 3251 uh, Nebraska Avenue at Utah Street. And uh, I finished my final year of high school at uh, at uh, Roseville High in January 1926. Um, Bill, your recall is incredible. You know, <laughs> everything. I would, I'd like to go back now sure. and, and talk and ask about the neighborhoods that you lived in. Were they um, were, were there a lot of check? people in yes. neighborhood, were you always moving to yes, the Yes, I was moving, that's right. To yeah. safe havens, that's right. so to speak. Yeah, you see, the so-called, originally, the CSA, for, it is called Fraternal Life today, but originally it was called a CSPS. It had a Czechoslovak, Slovenskaj Spolek, that was a CSPS. And I think they they changed their uh, they changed their name in 1931 to the Czechoslovak Society of America. It's a fraternal or fraternal insurance organization. Now, as I say, they started in 1854, and they they never had any women women's lodges. So there's an organization in Cleveland, Ohio, that. Um, that called themselves the JCD, and later on they called it JCD and M, which meant Jednota Chesky Dam. That's uh, ladies, uh, ladies, and then they put the M on there for men. Mm -hmm. So, so then they organized a women's lodge, and later on in years, why they did, they joined the CSPS, which today is called the CSA Fraternal Life, and they're in Berwyn, headquarters are in Berwyn, Illinois, just like the C 
American Circle Organization, their headquarters are also today in Berwyn, Illinois. He gave me, I, I did some, I had some, uh, uh, I, I talked to them in time, but there's just another man. Bill, um, what does it mean to be part of those societies? And what do they do? Well, the fraternal was, was to help the families uh, in case of sickness and, and in death. They were, uh, that was the CSPS. And uh, they, they, that was their purpose, mm -hmm. to provide for the family. Mm -hmm. Whereas the Sokol organization... A living was, and a dying organization. That's right. Whereas the Sokol organization was for phys physical, physically and morally fit individuals. Mm -hmm. And that's the reason that uh, Miroslav Tirsch and his father-in-law, uh, Figner, organized the first circle in Prague, and they built their circle under the basic ideas of the Greek, Greek uh, phys physical mm -hmm. culture. What, what did it also turn out to be a, a, a social kind of a thing? Well, yes, 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 that's that. right, because they went in for, uh, the circle went in for uh, gymnastics, and um, for uh, act, uh, theater mm -hmm. and music. Mm -hmm. Well, to get a really personal idea, why don't you tell me how how you involved yourself in these? And well, at what age? At what age? I I think I I began going to the Soko organization when I was about eight eight years old, and I uh, I imagine I went down. The old Sokol Hall, which is still uh, in existence on 9th and Allen. And I went there evidently uh, up until I was uh, around 10 or 11 years old. And your dad was working. Did you go with your brother? Did you go with friends? Or did your mother take you? Or Most of the time was my brother okay. until we got a little older and then we both went our separate ways. He mm -hmm. was different than I was and mm -hmm. I was more involved in sports. Whereas my brother, he was, he was uh, a bookend. In other words, he, he loved to read. He could read a book, book in one evening and tell you what he read. What sports were you involved? I was involved most, mostly in baseball, baseball and softball, and then later on down the Sokol gym, I played basketball. I, I couldn't play basketball today because I ain't big enough. What what position did you play? In I baseball? played guard when when I played uh, the basketball. Baseball. Baseball. I normally played either a third base or shortstop or second base, the infield. Now, uh, I, I then I stopped going to the so-called hall when I, before I was eleven because how I started it. My parents weren't rich; they were poor. And we tried to make every every nickel count. And what I did, uh, I found out that there's boys that were delivering baseball scores uh, after the ball game was over. Then the printer would would uh, set it in in a case, and then they put it in a printing press, and they print. And every boy, they had a, I imagine they had about 20 boys that delivered baseball scores 
to the saloons at that time there were saloons and the pool halls because we used to beat the newspapers out in those days now, are you talking about the so-called baseball games? No, no, the, no, no, the major, 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 major leagues, okay. and major leagues, and um, so I went went to the print shop one day with one of the fellows that was delivering baseball scores, and and uh, and I went on his route, and then I, I always kept on going there every evening trying to get a job to deliver deliver baseball scores. The boys got paid a dollar and a half a week for delivering baseball scores and uh, every Saturday they had to make a collection from the tavern and pool, pool, pool owners to collect for the scorecard mm -hmm. which was which was a dollar I think they a quarter a day they paid so they there was no Sunday ball game just a, a week weekdays and they had to collect the money and then they got car fare to come back to the office and make their cash returns, and then he paid them a dollar and a half. And the irony of the thing, a lot of them boys were poor too, so during the week, and they were hungry uh, during the week, why well, they'd always ask the fellow that ran the scorecard at that time was followed by him, uh, uh, W.F. Ashman. We used to call him Wu Fang Ashman, I don't know why, but we call him Wu Fang. And they'd ask him if they could have a nickel to go up and get a sandwich up on 14th and Pine. They had a fish wagon up there. So he'd give it. But he'd always take that money off of their pay when, on a mm -hmm. Saturday. Mm -hmm. Saturday, see? So they never they got their full dollar and a half. And I kept on, um, as a matter of fact, uh, when he hired me, he didn't want to hire me. He said, you're too little. I was 11 years old. And uh, I kept on coming there, kept on. Did he mean small or young? Huh? Did he mean small? Small and, and, and young? Or and young. Well, young. Well, all the kids were young in, in their around 11, 12 years old. So I used to come there every night, and finally one, one evening one of the boys didn't show up. So he says, well... I guess I'll have to give you a chance. So I started on my route on 12th and Pine on the northeast corner. And I had the downtown right. I had uh, Peterson's Billiard Hall. I had uh, Pesha's Pool Hall. I had the taverns downtown. And I wound up, my last customer was on 2nd on second, second and Shoto. So that was my route. And from there on, I had to walk home because he never gave you car fare to go or he never car fare to come to work, see. And I kept on coming there early all it. And after I come back, uh, after he said, did you find him all? I said, he said, that's your route. So I got my route that way. And, and I kept on uh, hanging around the print shop all the time. As a fact, we had an American Indian down there who was who was a delivery boy for the printing company. Mm -hmm. And we used to, all we called him was Indian. I, I don't know what his name was. But uh, I, I kept on coming there early, and finally Mr. Ashman says, uh, would you like to keep score? I said, sure. So that's when the baseball scores came in on a ticker tape. Mm -hmm. There was no radio or nothing like that. So 
he says, I'll pay you $4. So I was making $4 and all the other kids were making a dollar and a half. So I'd always take it off the ticker tape and I'd put it up, up on a border and the typesetter, he would, he would go ahead and type it as it was going along. And the St. Louis game was always the last game, whether it was the St. Louis Browns or whether it was the St. Louis Cardinals. And uh, when the last game was over, he'd finish up typeset and put it in the case, and then he'd lock up the case, put it in a print, and the printer would then print the baseball scores. And Mr. Ashman then would, would kind of, each boy had so, so many customers, so he'd, he'd count them, showed me how to how to count them, and he, he, he'd give them out to the boys, and the boys then would go out, either he'd give them car fare to get to their route, some boys had bicycles, but I didn't, I, I walked, as a matter of fact, I was a silly little kid, I guess, later on what I did, uh, my dad bought, uh, made me a, uh, what you call a pushmobile, pushmobile, you know, with roller skate, mm -hmm. roller skates, and I would, at, during the biz, biz, uh, office hours when everybody was going home from work, I was going down, down Olive Street on my, on my scooter, you know, yeah. a scooter. And I guess everybody was looking at that damn kid, I guess. So, uh, and, and I, I finally, I used to even come there on a Saturday and, and I helped make deliveries for, for the pr printer and I finally started learn how to feed a printing press. I started on a little job press and from that job press and later on I even started print, printing the, the uh, official scorecards. As a matter of fact I got one downstairs which is dated 1908 okay. but but it's um, it has no baseball scores on it yet because that was before the season started. Mm -hmm. I'll show that to you before, okay. uh, before you leave. After, after, then Mr. Ashman passed away, and uh, it it changed hands to other individuals, and finally a fellow by him. Um, at first, the print, uh, uh, the first printer that printed baseball score was fellow by him Bias B Y E R S, and uh, then the second second printer, the printer was Gessling and Dorn, two individuals that were printers. And then uh, after Gessling got out of the printing business, Dorn took it over. And Dorn kept it until uh, we moved from uh, 13th and Pine over to uh, 12, 12, close to 12th and Franklin. And uh, Walton Franklin, we used to come there early, and sometimes we used to hop the Illinois Traction uh, streetcars, which were dealt Illinois Traction Tra Traction System. It's the Illinois Illinois Terminal Railroad, actually, mm -hmm. and they they left the Illinois Terminal Building, which was later on called the Globe Democrat Building. Mm -hmm. They left there, went down 12th Street all the way to the McKinley Bridge, where we used to hop. Mm -hmm and ride all the way to McKinley Bridge and then on the way and then we catch another one going back home back back to the print shop. What year were you in there? What year? Uh -huh. Approximately. That that had to be uh, let's see. 
I guess about 1920. 1920. What did working for him, what did getting this job and rising up in the ranks and, and, and bringing his money home, what did you, had you, what did you do for you, for your family? Well, actually, uh, whenever we made any money, we always t used to turn it in, and then when we got a little older, we always got $4 a week spending money. And uh, so uh, then with the advent of uh, radio, gradually the scorecard kind of died out. And the last place that Mr. John Dorn had his print shop was over on Morgan Street, which today is Del Mar. And I, ha I haven't seen him or heard of him ever since then. Then, then after the scorecard, then I, then I left there. And um, in the summertime, my, my brother and I, we got a job working for Postal Telegraph, which was a, which was a competitor of Western Union. Mm -hmm. And they were down in the Merchants Laclede building on, the, on. The fourth and olive, and uh, we used to we used to sit there and wait until somebody called in, wanted a messenger boy, and we we picked up the messages from the different offices downtown, around Boatman Bank, Building Liberty Central, and all those other banks down there. And uh, they used to call my brother and I racehorse because we never walked for the messages; we always ran because the more we run, the more money we'd make. Uh, that's when the Federal Reserve building was on on uh, Fourth and on Broadway and, and Pine, mm -hmm. and uh, when the Army used to come down for their Jefferson Barracks payroll, they used to have soldiers lined up on Pine Street from Fourth Street to Broadway on both sides of the street when they bring the cash boxes down off the mm -hmm. sec second floor of the Federal Reserve building, and. Uh, no, no, they didn't take any chances. And um, so I stayed with the Postal Telegraph for, for uh, I guess I was still going to high, high school. And when I was going to high school then, uh, I didn't, as a matter of fact, my brother and I, on Sunday, we used to sell newspapers on the corner of Mississippi and Guyer. And uh, that was a Sunday paper. My brother used to pick up and walk walk around the neighborhood, and I used to stand on the corner. And he used to raise cane with me in the winter time because I was building a fire to stay warm, stay warm. And my my brother, while well, he walked around, he he had a chance to get a little warm. But uh, that Sunday Sunday. Uh, Newspaper that that was something that you don't see today. My dad dad used to wake us up at five o'clock in the morning on a sunny morning, rain, shine or snow. From 18th Street up to Jefferson and Guyer to pick up our newspaper, then walk ba walk back east from Jefferson Avenue to Mississippi, which was in the neighborhood about four blocks, I would say. And that was our corner, on the northwest corner. So you go pick up your paper. 
we had to go pick on yeah we had a wagon we, we push a wagon all the way up the up there and then the wagon full of paper down the Dyer Avenue and we normally finished up before uh, around noon time I would say and then we'd come home eat, eat lunch and then and we normally on a Sunday we'd go to the 18th Street show that was our weekend you and gather? Huh? You and your brother? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, when we lived on Elm Avenue, my, my mother and dad, well, they were foreigners, and they didn't know much about the way the American youth lived and so forth. So my brother and I had pretty well free willing on what we did. My mother, she. I, I guess she really worried about it, but we said we're going somewhere, we went, and that was it. I remember the first time when I was 11 years old, and I decided to join a carnal knothole gang. And the, their, their, the knothole gang office was in a Rialto building on, on Broadway, Broadway and Olive, and we had to go down there to, to, to sign up. and. Uh, Every once we had to go down to get our passes. Well, I come home from from the not whole gang office one one day, and I said, "Mom, I'm going to the ball game." She said, "No, Jeff. That means go ahead." She didn't know how far it was, but from 18th and 18th and Allen, I got on a streetcar in Mississippi and Guyer, took a car, drove to Jefferson Avenue, went north on Jefferson Avenue all the way to the end of the Jefferson Avenue line which was at Fairgrounds Park. Mm -hmm. And from there we had a walk up to up to a Robison Field. That's what the call, original Cardinal Baseball Park was called, Robison, not Robinson, Robison, R-O-B-I-S-O-N. And we had to go in through the center field bleachers and show our, show our card and give them a pass. Mm -hmm. And we used to always sit in the center field bleachers and that was about the biggest baseball park I ever saw because in that part, anybody that hit the ball between the two outfields always got a home run. What do you think, um, how did your family work? The, the relationships, or the trust, or the not knowing, or whatever, because you say they were foreigners. Was it just because she just felt you were going to be all right? Or did you have a, a certain time that did you and oh, your yeah. brother knew you should be home we, because they told right. you so, or, or you talk about that with that's, me? That's right. In other words, my when my, my my dad didn't know because my dad was working, but my, but my mother, as a matter of fact, when I was when we lived on Allen Avenue on a Saturday morning, well, when I was when we when I didn't go up to McKinley High School campus, which was a block north of McKinley High School on Allen Avenue. Uh, boys used to come. We, we were the only kids that had a softball. We used to always go down down between uh, 9th and, and uh, Menard on, the, on Allen Avenue that was called by name of Wagoner. And he made, he made these outseam softballs. Mm -hmm. and. Um, We'd always order one, and he'd make it for you. It cost 50 cents. So he'd make us a softball, and we'd take it home. Because we were the only kids that had a softball. Why the kids 
her mother said, Yaya, pour you the water. He said, I'm going to pour water because she wanted me to sleep on a Saturday morning instead of getting up at 7 o'clock in the morning. But because when we lived on Allen Avenue, we had plenty of lots to play on. We had a lot across the street, and we had a lot uh, at Mississippi and Allen. We had a, uh, we had a, a junk lot on 18th and um, Allen. And uh, where Moydell Funeral Home is today, that was a lot. There was only four houses east of 18th Street, and there was a residence in the middle of the block on the south side of the street, owned by Albrecht. And from Albrecht's house to Mississippi, that was a big lot. So we had plenty of lots to play on, and uh, we played rain or shine. We didn't care what the weather was. Yeah, and let's go back though, but to the to the family. She she you knew when you had to be home? I knew when I had to be home. And you were home. I was home too. And, and was there ever a time when you weren't and if not, what happened? I'll tell you one time. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I was uh, the one the one time that, that uh, they they really worried about me was that it was a night. I went to the 18th Street show. And how old were you? I guess I was about 12 years old. I'm trying to get a feel on, on, on the family life. And yeah. And was yours similar to other people that you knew in the neighborhood? Well, I think all the other kids were about in the same same boat. And uh, the, the one time that they I know they, my dad had to worry about me because I went to the 18th Street show. The show always let out at 9 o'clock. Well, the fire department, I heard the fire department go, go down 18th Street, so I started chasing them. And I chased, and I chased, and I wound up at the original showboat, showboat dance hall on Cherokee and Iowa. Now that's from 18th and Allen all the way to Cherokee and Iowa. That's pretty good. And that's when the when the uh, it burned down totally. And this was summertime. That wasn't bad. But uh, I I knew I was going to get it when I got home. I didn't get much anyway. But it was around midnight, I guess, when I. Got a streetcar, a Bell Fountain streetcar, and I got off on Mississippi and Dyer, and I walked walked walk from the corner to the alley, and there was a that big lot was just uh, just there on Mississippi and Allen, and I started cutting across the lot Caddy Corner, and I saw somebody walking up the street. And all of a sudden, I heard my dad's whistle. I said, uh-oh, I'm going to get it. And when I come to him, he says, Jesse Bill, where were you? And I told him, he said, why, well, why didn't you come home and tell us? We'd let you go. I said, yeah, you'd let me go. I'd have been home. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only time I think that I really give him a little, little problem. But he didn't take any action? No, no. Didn't get no punishment or nothing. 
Kim are glad to have me, I guess. You were a good boy. As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, the story goes, which was told me, that when I was born above the bakery shop, they, they, well, my parents were Catholic at that time. I was Christian, and uh, and I was. Uh, they said they had me in a, I guess, in a basket or something in, in the front room. In those days, there was only a, a kitchen, middle room, and front room. And you were born at home. I would, yeah. I was born by. The irony is, I was born by a midwife. Her name was Josephine Merrick. M A R I K. And the funny thing is, I had a cousin by that name. Mm -hmm. But uh, they they used to they had the candles lit for me in the living room, and they'd all in the front room, and they'd come in there every once in a while to see if I was still breathing, because I was born a year and three months after my brother, and my brother mother was only about four foot eight, and I guess she was undernourished, and they felt that I, I would expire, that I'm living today, and they're all gone by the wayside. I guess that's the way the Almighty has taken care of it. What's it feel like to sit here and, I mean, you recreate things so that I can see you walking down the street, and the, I can see the lot, and I can see your father standing there, you do it so well and talking to you. What's it feel like to, to think about it? Well, I think the Almighty has something to do with it because today my wife is ailing and uh, she's had three broken hips and a broken upper upper left arm. So she's pretty well incapacitated today and I guess I'm here to take care of her. So, and uh, I also had another job and that was uh, a boy by the name of Oliver Duchek lived two miles away from me on Allen Avenue, and uh, he was working for a, a newspaper delivery man, and uh, he got me to, to kind of help him sometimes, and fi finally then I, after he left left the job, why the they had another carrier on there, and, and I used to go with him and uh, and help deliver some of the papers with him. So uh, I don't know of any other jobs that I've had. Okay, I've had I, I want to go back to what you said very early on in the tape, um, that when you went to school uh, and your brother took you, he, he, he didn't speak English and he no. had to help you. Uh, you spoke what would you call it, Bohemian? Bohemian at home and uh, outside English. And outside English. But you haven't learned to speak English yet? No. No. Okay. Only, so only, only what the little girl next door taught me, which wasn't nice. <laughs> <laughs> did, you, did you know it wasn't nice then? Yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, All right, so your parents never really learned to speak English? My dad, uh, he learned to talk fairly well, but my mother, no. She, as a matter of fact, the neighbors used to call her out on Allen Avenue there in the backyard just to get it, hear her butcher the American language, and I mean she butchered it. Okay. Alright, well, tell me about school and, and how did you finally learn, and, and how did they treat you at school, the teachers? and. I don't recall whether they, the only thing that I recall is the reason my name has been changed, see? Mm -hmm. 
my dad and mother their their name was S A N A with the check mark over letter S which in the Czech language gives you S H. And there was a line above the A that's reading it's Shana. And uh, I guess when my aunt took us to the to grammar school to sign in, she must have told the teacher the name is William Shana. And they, the teacher must have shoved the H in her to get the Shana, otherwise it would be Santa, S-A-N-A, see? So my dad and mother are both buried under S-A-N-A, -A. my brother is S-H-A-N-A, -A, and I'm going to be S-H-A-N-A. Bill, also you said your brother's name was Joseph with an F. My dad's name was Your dad's name, name. Yeah. okay, and your brother? P-H. A-O-S-E-P-H. Alright, so it's anglicized, and, and where did the William come from? Anyway? The William? That comes from, from Vaclav. Vaclav in okay. Czech is William. Okay. So he, he also he worked for somebody who used the name William, and I didn't know if he named him yeah. after that. No, that was William Stan, yeah. As a matter of fact, <coughs> well, I can tell you that later on about my, my mother was ill. So my dad decided to buy a cottage on 3423 Minnesota Avenue and uh, he made the back bedroom his workshop. In other words, they, he used to sit and sew on top of the table. They used to call that the double leg, you know, cross their legs and they, they'd be sewing, sewing on the table. They wouldn't be sitting, sitting down in a chair, they'd be sitting on a table. And, uh, Sitting on the table. Yeah, they call it well a workbench like. It was like a workbench. Mm -hmm. That's you, what was the word? Double A. Double A. T A B U L A. Double A. Table. Well, it was like a workbench, and my my dad's then stayed home instead of going to work, and they used to deliver the the uh, coach to my dad, he was a coat maker mostly in a tailoring trade, though he couldn't make pants. But he he, he always, uh, when he got it finished, he'd call, call him up and uh, William Stan's son would come out and pick him up. If he had something else, he'd bring it out at the same time. Mm -hmm. So that, so my, my dad did that, and at that time, uh, when my mother was still living, why I was uh, after I left uh, my first job was with the Nelson Chessman Advertising Company on on Pine Street, just east of 12th Street on the north side of the street. Right, we're gonna stop right there with Chessman for a minute and go back and back to school, okay? In the language, I want to talk about what we were trying to get to. Were other children your age also in the neighborhood? You said you always lived in Czech neighborhood. Mm -hmm. um, did they also speak Czech, a Bohemian home? And um, was the situation pretty much the same in other families? No, there was two classes of parents, foreign parents. The ones that want to learn the English language made their children talk English at home. So they would learn it. But it reversed itself. The children then didn't learn the foreign language. 
in my case, I learned a foreign language and also the English. I may butcher it up once in a while. But so it's really, it's better your way because you got both. Well, because I still associate with, with the Czech people. Yeah. Being, coming to another country like so many people did, there's, there's so many different ways that people did it. Um, some wanted to hold on to the what they loved and left behind and bring it with them, and other people wanted to be strictly American, and some people just were so busy working, I suppose, they didn't think about it as much as just to live. What, well, what are your thoughts on that? And, and the people that you knew and, and you? Well, uh, that's the reason you, you, you have the differences t today where uh, a lot, lot of the people, they, they joined a Czech organization. There's a lot of them that didn't. There's a lot of people today that have a Czech name but uh, know nothing about the Czech, Czech nationality. They're not interested. But being that I, I was raised among the Bohemian people, well then, uh, I, I knew what they were. I knew, and my parents knew where I was going. That's why never, they never worry too much. You take it. I went to Bohemian Night School down the old National Hall on 17th and Allen, which was a CSPS hall. And what age was that? Uh, I guess I, I was about eight, eight, year, eight years old when, when my brother and I went to, uh, went to Bohemian Night. It was on Wednesday evening and Sunday morning. Was this because you wanted to, or because they? No, my parents sent me there. My parents. What did you learn there? Learned the Bohemian language, oh. the Czech language. But you were already speaking it at home. Yeah, but you, you didn't learn the the, the grammars the and grammar. so on, stuff like that, which was taught there. And then, uh, you know, our kids are—they they can get away from the foreign colony if, mm -hmm. if you let them. Mm -hmm. But being as I associated with all of them. That's the reason today uh, I'm glad that I know how because today I get more inquiries from people that are looking for their roots. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, I just got a call down, down the American Czech Educational Center at the senior citizen where a man started telling me that he was trying to find his roots. And he started talking over I said, listen, best thing for you to do is to send me a, a copy of what you have and let's see if I can help you. And today, though I'm, I'm born in this country, the old timers almost are, all are gone by the wayside. Mm -hmm. Unless you find some um, the displaced person that came in after the Second World War that are interested in, in, in the uh, Czech people mm -hmm. that may may know a little bit about later Czech life, not not the life that I lived through. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, that's that's been the source thing with me that so many have come over after the Second War that uh, the, the church brought a lot of them over. 
finance my mom got away from her after they got in of this country and uh, there's very few that have stayed with the American Czech Educational Center they come there originally and then they disappear and uh, that's the reason it's hard. That's the reason the SOCO and the, Amer and the CSA today has had to change the system. That's the reason they got away from the Czechoslovak Society of America today because people thought they had to be Czech or Slovak in order to jo join a fraternal organization. And that's the reason they call it CSA Fraternal Life today. So they for business reasons, more than anything else. And, and the so-called... Uh, so you mean they want people that aren't checked? Well, sure. Sure, that, that's a fraternal organization. In other words, otherwise they die. Eventually there won't be any checks in this country. You know, so uh, it's, uh, it's disheartening that, that it's uh, happening that way, but uh, you take it to Sokol organization. When I was I was president of the Sokol organization for 14 years, from 1958 1970, to because I'd see young people come in there and as soon as they heard me talk and check, they'd make a U-turn go back out. They wouldn't come to me. So I started that system myself. I said, well, we're going to have to. As a matter of fact, all of our uh, meeting minutes were always taken in the Czech language. So when was this? I would say it was somewhere around 1960, somewhere in there. And did people begin to return? Oh, sure, sure. I got got all the, the younger people in there. You really saved it then? Well, yes, to a certain extent. And that, that's what um, even, our, even our gymnastics, our, our exercise written in the, were written in the Czech language. As a matter of fact, I, you know, when you, when you, everything in the Czech language when it comes to gymnastics was tec uh, technical terms. And by technical terms, all they had to do was say one word and it, it you, you had to write a sentence in English. Mm -hmm. Therefore, th that's the reason their system w was good. Yeah. And uh, to today, it's all Americanized again, see? Everything mm -hmm. is in English today because it coincides with our AAU and so forth. So, it's a, it's a thing that, uh, thing that uh, you either live or you die. And uh, I imagine the other nationalities are, are finding the same thing, whether it's the Polish or whether it's the Italian and so mm -hmm. on. Um, I, your neighborhoods, um, you played with the children that, were, that lived around In the neighborhood, that's right. Um, and did your parents, were their friends, did they have time to have friends? And if they did? My dad didn't. The, the uh, my dad and mother when when they were when we were little, I I can remember I uh, when we lived on Levin Street. That's where most of my memories come from. Levin Street. Levin Street because uh, my my dad, my aunt and uncle, my dad's sister, 
Her name was Hedwig, Hedvika, Hedwig, and her last name, marriage name was Rezebek, R-E-Z-A-B-E-K. Uh, they got married, I think, in 19... It had to be about 1907, I guess, somewhere in there. They lived near you? Uh, well, when they first got married, uh, I can recall, they lived on Menor Street, a block west of 10th Street, where I was born. And uh, my, as a matter of fact, my, my uncle, uh, John, he came from Nepomuk, just like, like my dad came from Nepomuk, Czechoslovakia. So, uh, and, and, and Uncle John courted my, my dad's sister, Hedwig, and, and they never had any children of their own. And uh, they lived on 12th, 12th Street between Park and Carroll. And at that time, when they, when they lived on 12th Street, 12th Street didn't go through to Shoto Avenue. There was a Holy Trinity Church, which which uh, was right in the way of of 12th Street going going through mm -hmm. to Shoto Avenue. So when the city, I think it was in 1924, the city moved the church west, and then 12th Street was cut through all the way to Shoto Avenue. And uh, then later on, the Holy Trinity Church was was demolished, and they they moved down to Ninth, and today it's Ninth and Seward. Originally, it was Ninth and Lafayette, because you see, years ago, Seward was one block was uh, one block north of Lafayette Avenue, at uh, Twelfth Street. Because 12th Street ran down, and when it ran down to 12th Street, then it changed to Soulard going down to Broadway. But but Lafayette was over here, so later on the city tra transformed it, made Lafayette Avenue going through, and Soulard then was one one block south. And um, well, we were ta ta talking about your parents and, and friends. Well, uh, well, my dad worked all the time. And that's, that's you know, that my aunt and uncle and my da dad and mother used to play pinochle for ma matches or or whatever. They didn't play for money in those yeah, days. But that was there. That's where right. my uncle John, he smoked uh, turkey cigarettes and he used to flip the buses out the kitchen door. Kitchen door and uh, I used to pick them up and I used to puff on I was only five, five, six years old. <laughs> But they used to play pinochle in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. You only had three rooms in that house. There was there was no front entrance way to the house. You, every every entrance that you had went through the kitchen. Mm -hmm. The kitchen, and you had the middle room, and you had the front room. And poor old Santa Claus. When Santa Claus come, he had to come off the sidewalk through the front window to go in the front room. And that's three in the front front. Room, room door was always closed during Christmas time because mm -hmm. that's when my. Where did everybody sleep? What? Where did everybody sleep? We all slept in the middle room. In the middle room, yeah. all, all together. Yeah. And the front room had maybe couch or. Couch, that's right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. okay. And then near the kitchen. And the kitchen. And, the kitchen. and so tell me about Santa Claus. Well, when when Santa, Santa Claus would come. Well, we, 
we always anticipated Santa Claus because we had an outhouse on 11th Street, and my dad would always come home earlier on uh, Christmas Eve, and uh, he'd my mother always fixed a, an early early supper that time, which was around six o'clock. So Santa Claus would come, and we normally had fish on a, on a, on Christmas Eve. And when we got through, we were, my brother, we were always anxious. We say, always looking underneath that front door to see if the light was on. You see, and when we see, hey, Santa Claus is in there. To see the light, see? Uh -huh. All right. We saw the light, and all of a sudden, my dad would blow, blow a little horn. Say, hey, Santa Claus is in there. But then he, he'd go back, back back in the house, and he'd come, come in, come in, he'd, he'd say, Look what I found in the outhouse. Santa Claus left a big salami in there, in, in, in the outhouse. So he'd bring that in, and, then, and we were, kids were excited. We wanted to go in. So we got in the front room. There was a. We always had an artif artificial tree. In those days. Oh yeah, oh, sure. Oh, I didn't know they had them here. Sure, we had. My dad made a, made a little garden, you know, and had the stand in there, and had all these little figurines underneath. And of course, we had candles too. And that's the, that's the reason years ago you had so many lace curtain fires years ago because when the when the when the trees would catch fire, people would try and throw them out the front window, and that's when the lace curtains caught fire. That's why I always used to talk with a fireman. He said, no lace curtain fires now anymore.